only the first time I launched the Copy Confidence Society was it not a six-figure launch. It was a $60,000 launch. And then my fall launch was 112. The one after that was like 300. Like I just kept, I've never not had a six-figure launch for the Copy Confidence Society. Marisa Corcoran is a messaging and marketing mentor, helping coaches and creatives craft their uncopyable message inside her signature program, the Copy Confidence Society. She's also the creator of the wildly popular summit, the Copy Chat, which has raised over $100,000 for charitable organizations. And you may have seen her recently hosting the launch party for Laura Belgrade's new book in New York City. You can go to episode 25 for my conversation with Laura Belgrade, where she teased about her book back in the day. Now, you'd be surprised to hear that Marisa didn't start out as an English major. In fact, she started as an actress. In this interview, I ask her all about her path from entertainment to copywriting because it was definitely not a straight line. And I love sharing the ups and downs and the detours of the most successful coaches out there so that you can get some ideas of how your path, although winding, will end up in the right place. Also, if you're an avid listener of this podcast, you may have noticed that this is a replay of episode 227, but that is not a mistake. We loved Marisa so much that we decided to extend the content of the interview. That's right. You will hear things you did not hear in episode 227, and we wanted to give ourselves the chance to promote her episode as the first interview of 2024 and of season five under the new podcast name. So woohoo for us. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while you're still digging yourself out of gift wrap from this past Christmas, there is light at the end of the tunnel. We are done putting gifts away. And please, Head over to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here is my interview with the one who has the answer to your copy conversion, Marisa Corcoran. Welcome to Get Clients First, the podcast for online coaches who have decided to leave vanity metrics behind and finally start making money by helping others now, not when we have a bigger audience, not when the time is right, whatever that means, but right now, you have the gift and your clients are waiting for you to step up and help them out. Hi, I'm your host, Ina Coveney, six-figure entrepreneur and business coach, and my mission is to help you get clients now, even if you have a small audience. I cross a six-figure mark in my business before I hit a thousand followers on any of my platforms, and I teach you how to do the same. Listen for the lessons and strategies that will turn you into the coach they love to follow and can't wait to hire. This is your moment and there is no time to waste. Get ready because your breakthroughs begin now. Today I have the absolute pleasure of talking to Marisa Corcoran. Marisa, welcome to the Global Phenomenon. Oh, Ina, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, I... We have so much to cover, but first, can you please tell everybody what you do right now and who you serve right now? Yeah, so we serve our community in two ways. So number one, I always say that copy, you know, isn't the icing on the cake, that it is the cake. It's the butter. It's the gluten-free flour. If you're gluten-free like me, it's the eggs. It's how all these things that you want to make happen in your business, you want to sell in a way that feels good. 
want to call in the right people to sell to, then you have to know what to say and how to say it so that you can call in those people. And that's the first thing that we do inside of our signature program, the Copy Confidence Society, is we help uh, business owners create what we call their uncopyable message and the copy that supports it. So you can make those other things happen in your business. And then on the other end, I always say, once you can message it, you can market it. And then from there, we help people create their own stage with a signature summit to be able to call in the right audience with that uncopyable message and create kind of a purchasing pathway and calling in their ideal clients with more ease without relying on uh, paid advertising, without relying on having to be in other people's audiences and not even really having to rely on referrals, but relying on their own stage. So we kind of start with the copy and then we work our way into audience growth with our clients. And it makes total sense because you've made an incredibly successful business doing just that, having your copy program and having summits. And we're going to get there, but we're going to go way back. Can you please tell us where Marisa Corcoran was born and what was (laughs) it like to be baby Marisa? Yeah. So I grew up in Syracuse, New York. And the interesting thing for me is I was I always wanted to be a performer, to be an actor from the time I was a little kid. I was singing from the time I was four or five years old. Um, And so baby Marisa was performing in her room. Baby Marisa was singing Madonna. I was like walking around in a slip and like these, my aunt Sharon used to have these like these red high heels that I would wear. And I would walk around singing Madonna's Express Yourself, which my Catholic, my very Catholic grandmother was not um, into. Yeah. Uh, but my mother, we always had music on in the house. I was always singing. And then from the time I was a little kid, I was doing community theater. So mm-hmm. I was performing and in theater. And so baby Marisa was going to be an actor. That's what I was going to do. I, I never wanted to be anything else. I had no desire to do anything else. I was doing theater from, you know, the time I could, and that's the community that I grew up in where other people maybe played sports or went to like high school dances and did stuff like that. I was always in a show. I was doing about two theater shows from the time I was in sixth grade until I graduated from high school, two or three a year. And you've mentioned before that in your own family, uh, your grandfather could command the room with storytelling. Your uncle was super Uh funny that, that, for some reason, stand-up comedy was like in the zeitgeist of your family. Totally. Can, you, can you tell us a little bit about that stand-up comedy part? Yeah, I truly believe that my uncle, Mark, could have been a very famous stand-up comic. And I think that my grandfather especially, and I also get this from my dad's side, but my dad died when I was little, so I never really got to see that live out in my dad. But you do see that same kind of humor in my sister as well, my older my older half-sister, So there's like, um, I definitely have that from that side as well. But the side that I spent the most time with was my mom's. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my maternal grandfather is just so great at telling stories or commanding a room or if he had a joke to tell like the detail. And I grew up in a family that really loved stand up comedy and we would like repeat the joke. So my uncle Mark would, you know, retell a joke and just watching the way he would command the room and the detail he would have. I would watch the way that both of them did that. And so I know that a lot of the way that I do that was from watching them tell a joke and watch people laugh and wait for the laugh and go to the next line. And, and not even just that, but the way that my grandfather or my uncle would just interact with people around them, whether it was somebody that was seating you, a hostess at a restaurant, 
to somebody that was giving you a ticket at the movie theater. Like my family finds ways to connect with, Hey, how are you doing? Oh my gosh. I really love those. I love those earrings that you're wearing. And that's just who I am. How do you feel that your father passing away? So sorry to hear about that when you were two years old. Um, How did that affect or impact your life from that point on? Mm, That's such a good question, Nina. Such a good question. So I'll fast forward just for a second, but I promise it connects. So when I used to live in New York, I had a book club with my girlfriends and we would read, you know, a couple books, two books a month. And so this one book we read by the comedian, uh, Mm -hmm. Judd Apatow or director Judd Apatow, who had interviewed a bunch of comedians. It's called Sick in the Head. And it's a book of interviews that he'd done with comedians over the years. And there's an interview that he does with Albert Brooks, where Albert Brooks talks about losing his father when he was younger. And he talks about being on the playground, like with his friends and people would be like swinging and playing. And he would be on the playground. He would have this feeling where he'd look around at everybody else on the playground and be like, to these little kids, hey, hey, you know, like this is going to end one day, like this is all going to end. And it was that, that idea that as a child, when you learn about death, it's like you learn about the end before you ever have a chance to learn about the beginning. This is essentially what he says. And I remember at book club, we brought our takeaways from the book and that was my number one takeaway. And it wasn't as if my friends didn't acknowledge it, but they didn't really understand. They're like, oh yeah, I, I, I could see that. Like they just didn't really understand. And it certainly didn't stand out to them because all of them had grown up with their parents living. And so I would describe that kind of Albert Brooks feeling where from the time I was a very young child, I was always kind of walking around and saying like, you know, this ends. So when people talk about you only have one life, we can kind of throw that around like YOLO. And I really have always understood that. And I think that's been the drive to really push to go for things in a big way, whether it's been personally or professionally to say like, this is all going to end. So we better go and do it. And I think that drive to create something has always been in me because of that. Um, yeah. And also, you know, because when in, in, in losing, I think a parent at a, between the ages of like zero to four years old are very different from other ages because you're essentially grieving somebody that you, you don't always have conscious memories of you're, you're essentially kind of grieving a, a stranger somebody who is the reason that you're on earth, but you don't, you can pick their voice out in a room. You don't necessarily like know what their hands look like or, or the way that they moved or their personality or relying on other people. They become like a storybook character in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I've always been trying to find that connection to my dad. That's something that's ours. Yeah. I don't know if I found it, but I do think that we're very much alike. This is what I hear. So I think that maybe I am that connection just myself, but yeah. But so striving for that connection um, and going after things in, in, in a big way. Does your mother ever talk about your father and about the things that you're doing in relation to him? Like how, how, do, how do you see her remembering him when she's around you? Yes. So good. My mom talks about my dad a lot. You know, my mom never remarried again. Mm. Um, so when my dad died, my mom never remarried. I've never known her to have a boyfriend. She's mm-hmm. 73 years old and she's been a widow since she was in her 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so def definitely it's interesting. I just did a live event in San Diego and my mother was there for that. She never seen me live in the business. Mm-hmm. And I remember her saying to me after, like, I wish your dad could have seen this. He'd have been so proud to see you like owning this, this room. I think that was really beautiful for her to see, but it definitely, you know, 
even I was with my godmother. So my godmother is my mother's best friend since they were 12 years old. Her name mm-hmm. is Denise. I call her aunt Denise. That's so my mom's best friend. And I was with her because I'm on this road trip. And so we spent a couple of days with her in Florida. This is back in March. And I asked her one night when we were out to dinner, I said, what do you, what, what would you say was your favorite thing? Like about my dad, I've been wanting to ask people more questions lately, especially like since my grandfather died and other people that knew my dad well, are kind of passing away. I've been wanting to kind of start to ask questions that maybe I never asked when I was younger, yeah. you know, or just relying on people to bring him up, not necessarily me asking. Yeah. And it's, I'm so glad you have to understand people never ask me really about my dad. So this is like a very interesting conversation to have. Yeah. Um, I remember asking her and she just started crying because she was just saying, you know, how much he loved my mom and just how, even all these years later, how much it hits her, how sad she is that they didn't have a chance to have this life together. Yeah. And so his presence is still definitely, you know, around and my mom, you know, we definitely try to keep that alive and my sister and um, my niece, my family, like, you know, there was so much love for him that everyone had. And I remember I was at a wedding a couple of years ago, my cousin, Nicole's wedding in 2019, like in the before times, like the last mm-hmm. wedding before COVID was my cousin, Nicole's wedding. Yeah. And my aunt Sharon came up to me and I remember I was like dancing or doing something funny. And she said, Oh my God, I wish your dad could see you. You're so much like him. Like you're, ex- this is exactly something he would be doing at this wedding. I was like out on the dance floor being ridiculous, you know? Um, yeah. But my mom definitely, you know, she talks about him all the time. Yeah. Do you have that consciousness that now that you're you're an adult, right? You have relationships, you have a husband. You do you do you realize that in your mother's mind and in your aunt's mind and everybody's mind, your father was a was a strong presence in their life. And then seeing you not have that experience must be really kind of like strange for them to try to Try to like shake you a little bit, like, like you don't realize, like we, we knew him and we wish you knew him that way too. Like, that's what I'm seeing in their words. I'm a really big fan of the cartoon, the movie, The Princess and the Frog. Yeah. Because I'm, not because of, you know, Care Kissing the Frog, that's minor, but Princess Tiana is a business owner. She, you know, her whole point is to have Tiana's place, the restaurant. That's what the, how the movie starts and in honor of her father. And so in the middle of the movie, when they go to like, the swamp and the bog and they meet mama Odie and mama Odie, they sing the big song of the show of the, of the Disney movie, yeah. um, which is called dig a little deeper. She says to Tiana, um, you're, your you're your daddy's daughter and what he had in him, you've got in you. And I always, 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 that always hits me. Cause I believe that that's true. Like I am his, what he had in him. I also have, and I'm now doing that in ways I don't, that are, you know, in my own way, but I know that so much, so much of it comes from him. Can we honor them by saying your parents' names? Yeah. My mom's name is Rita. Um, and my father's name was Anthony, but everyone called him Tony. Yeah. Is that where M Tony comes? Yes. From? Yes. Yeah. <gasps> no, yeah. That was two... one of my questions. I didn't think we were going to get to it until the end. We so funny. Yeah. So for two reasons, actually. So People, when I was performing, always called me Marissa, Yeah, but my name is Marisa. Mm-hmm. And so when I was probably 15 years old performing in theater, I decided I wanted to go by M. Tony and my given name, Frado, which is my maiden name, M. Tony Frado with an I, so that it was a little bit more at that time, feminine, whatever that meant yeah. at the time to honor my dad. So that A, people would stop calling me Marissa, yeah. um, B, to honor my dad. And then C, I was a huge fan and have always been of Tony Braxton. I feel like she was such a big influence on my life. 
Yeah. So that's where M. Tony was born. And M. Tony Frado was my stage name until I stopped performing. Um, it was my email address. <laughs> like it was yeah. everything. And so that's where my Instagram, I'm actually going to be changing it soon. Oh, yeah, are um, you going to go with Marisa? I'm going to go with Marisa Corcoran, but yeah. Uh, yeah, the M. Tony is from my dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for everybody, because I didn't explain this, M. Tony is currently Marisa's Instagram yeah. account. Yeah. And, that, and that was one of my, I'm like, we're going to dig to the bottom of this. <laughs> Where M. Tony comes from. Yeah, at M. Tony. we got there. So yeah. why Harvard? Yeah. So when you're applying for your MFA in acting, mm-hmm. there's like five top schools. Or at the time when I was auditioning back in 2011, there were like the top schools. And I knew, again, Albert Brooks quote, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it. So I was told, you know, get out there, audition. You're going to have to probably audition a couple of years. You may not get in your first time, but let them get to know you, all of it. So I applied to the top five schools and the American Repertory Theater at Harvard University is one of them. Um, My really good friend, Renee, uh, went there before me. And so I got to visit her and there was something I'll never forget. I mean, I would have gone to any of them, but there was something about walking around Cambridge, the afternoon of my audition where I remember just feeling like this is where I meant to live. I still often feel that way about Boston because mm-hmm. um, I loved it there so much, but yeah. I remember feeling like this is where I'm, so this is where I'm going to go for the next, this is, this is it. I could just feel that this was it. Um, and so when I got in, it was just, okay, let's go, let's go do it. I got in on my first try on my first audition and I went with 16, you know, 15 of my class, there's, you know, 16 of us. And we, we, that's what we did for two and a half years. By the way, I am in Boston right now. You are? I am. Oh, I didn't know that. I am. I'm actually very familiar with it. I am. um, I'm originally from Venezuela. That's where the accent comes from. But I lived here in Boston, 1997 for one year. And I just felt that that attraction. I went back to Venezuela for a year and I, I figured out how to come back and yeah. I've been here since a few stints here and there, but like I've been here since this was like where home was. So I thought I get I it. I understand. And there's days where I still, I was just joking. Cause we've been on the West coast on the road trip. It's been cold on the West coast. And I think it was good to do the road trip for me to realize I'm not a West coast person. I'm a total yeah. East coaster. Yeah. And I was joking and like sent a meme to my friend of like the Duncan, the Casey Affleck, Dunkin' Donuts skit from SNL. And I was like, at my core, this is who I am. Yeah. At my core, I'm like a Dunkin' Donuts, like girl (laughs) from the East coast. (laughs) Well, if you're in Boston, you got to let me know. Okay. I will for sure. I'll take you out. Yeah. So did you move to New York immediately after school ended? Yeah. So I lived in New York before. So when I graduated from undergrad, I lived in New York from 2007 to 2000, summer of 2011. And then I went to grad school. And when grad school ended in 2013, I went back to New York and I lived in New York from 2013 until January of 2018. So at which point do you meet your husband, Eric? So I met Eric. Uh, we were paired in a wedding together in 2011. My best friend from high school married his best friend from college. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were paired in a wedding together right while I was just starting at Harvard. Yeah. And I remember me being like, oh, I'm not dating anybody. I'm like into school. Like I'm doing school, you know? And then he said, well, you know, I'll come visit you. And I was like, okay, let's see for real. 
Right. And then he came to visit me every other weekend for two and a half years in a Mustang from Syracuse to Boston, rain, snow, shine. And he kind of became the like other member of our class in a way. Everybody got to know him. So he, That's dedication. he went through those years with me. Yeah. So you get to New York and you have multiple jobs like actors do. While you're doing this, one of your side jobs was writing copy. Somebody told you, hey, some people need copy. And you kind of started yeah. doing it on the side, started kind of like getting rid of jobs while you were going to audition, started kind of like focusing on this business. And then... Um, I, I'm actually going to leave links in the show notes for people to hear you tell the story of auditioning for Winnie the Pooh, ultimately <laughs> not getting it and uh, take it, taking off the costume in your kitchen in front of your husband and saying, I just can't do this anymore. I'm going to leave the links for everybody to go and listen when you've told that story before, because I care more about what happens, like what was happening around this time when mm -hmm. you decide this is it. I don't want to do this anymore. I am sick of people having having too much control over where my fate is like i am just just done with this and you start to do, to do this copywriting work here's where my my big question is because your business became very successful pretty quickly you started you know putting out those offers like come i'll teach you how to write this copy you started doing summits you had been a part of summits before by being a copywriter behind summits so you knew you were learning how those work you started launching yours the copy chat right things like start to work my biggest question for you, especially around that time, I want you to think like 2018, right? When things are just starting to work, what is the big difference in your mind from where you're standing now? What is the biggest difference between you in 2018 where things are starting to work and you're starting to make money in your business and someone who's listening right now, who has been hustling, trying to get co copywriting clients, not finding their, their place in the online world and really continuing to struggle with making their businesses work. Can you please shed some light in when you see those two scenarios, what you've been through and what so many people are going through right now, not being able to get it to stick. What do you think is the biggest difference? Yeah, such a good question. And I just want to say to anybody out there, I understand it. And even if I say this, it doesn't mean you know, I always say there's no magic bean in your business. You know, you have these gurus that are like, just follow my map and you'll be, you know, and I, under, I understand that, um, but that might not be the case. But the thing that was the catalyst for me was creating my own stage. And for whatever reason, I couldn't do that as an actor, but I thought I could do that here. One of my closest friends, Diana, also encouraged me in the fall of 2018 to create the copy chat, to create my own summit and to kind of bring everything that I'd learned as an actor and create the space. And I think that was really the change was I wasn't waiting around. In 2016, 2017, I was finally able to let go of my other side jobs and I was just writing. And I'll never forget the day I was hired by a matchmaker that I wrote for, for a really long time named Lisa. And I never forget, I was walking through Madison Square Park and Lisa asked me what I was getting paid at the, as a cocktail waitress and at the doctor's office. And she said, okay, I can match that. And you can just come right for me. And I remember just like collapsing in Madison Square Park. Like <laughs> what? I couldn't believe it. I just bawled my eyes out. And then I went to anthropology and bought a dress. I just was, I couldn't believe it, that I could just be a writer and I could audition. So I'd been writing. So I I'd been blessed that I'd had referrals. I had retainer clients, but I was wanting more. I couldn't, it's kind of like the princess Tiana. Like I wanted Tiana's place. I wanted my thing. 
And I think creating my own stage, that's what did it was that I wasn't relying on other people. I started to bring people to me. Like I'm actually here with you today because of the copy chat, because Meryl Kriegsman, who brought us together was on season one of the copy chat. Yep. And Meryl and I became champions for each other. And so it's this gift that started to keep on giving once I created my own space. So as a business owner, I'd say it doesn't have to be a summit. Maybe it's a podcast. Maybe it's your own uh, webinar or or, or challenge or like week long thing that you do. Something that's your own that you can bring people to you, but you're not relying on other people to do it for you. Yeah. And that was the big change. That was the big catalyst for me. I love that. And for everybody who wants to go back and listen to Meryl Kriegsman's story, that's episode <laughs> 107 of the Global Phenomenon Podcast. Um, Marisa, I'm going to show you a quick video, and then I have a question for you. Um, so for myself this year, this is the first time I've ever taken care of my body. And I mean that sincerely. I've always been somebody who has been small. That has not been something that I've had to struggle with. I've been fortunate in that way. And I wasn't really focused on taking care of myself. And this is the first year that I have, and I've been working out consistently. I've been eating well, and this is huge for me because when I lived in New York, I was just sustaining on like a Dunkin' Donuts coffee and stress and, you know, hoping for the best. So I want you to think about where were you six months ago or on your last birthday? What are those small wins in your life that you can really, really celebrate yourself for? Maybe you've set up your work day. That was a big one for me when I decided, okay, I'm I'm really great. I need to write all day on Mondays. I can't talk to clients on Mondays. I need to have that day as a full writing day. Tuesdays and Thursdays are client days. Wednesday's another writing day. And Friday is like my catch-all day. So those are wins that I was able to celebrate. And I want you to celebrate those wins in your own life as well. So here's my question for you after seeing that. Uh, part of something that we hear all the time as entrepreneurs is that what got you here is not what's going to get you there. Mm -hmm. There is a, there is one point where you really need to lean into uh, figuring out your self-development, right? Take better care of yourself. Look at your week, become the CEO, just exactly as 2018 version of Marisa was saying, right? I'm finally taking care of myself. I am finally figuring out my schedule so that things are not so stressful. Can you, after seeing that video, like what comes to mind of what five years ago, Marisa was going through. It's interesting to watch that because, you know, I had breast cancer last year. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh no, I'm totally, I'm okay. But I'm glad to when hear. I watch that, I think I've always kind of struggled with taking care of myself in the midst of taking care of other people mm -hmm. and running the company and wanting to do great things. And I think I've gone through stages, but I think after I had breast cancer, I really realized how much I have to really stick to those things. Mm -hmm. So it's funny that I was saying that I was working out then because I haven't really, I'm trying to get back to like a working out place, you know, after breast cancer surgery, I couldn't like lift things for a while. Um, but some of those things that I'm talking about there have definitely stuck mm -hmm. in terms of how I schedule my work week the kind of boundaries with clients, certain things like that. But I've definitely gone back and forth and kind of taking care of myself. Um, and I don't think it really, really stuck until last summer when I was diagnosed. Yeah. Um, but I always have to just remember, you know, it's a journey and we keep kind of going through it. I don't know if I've mastered. 
there's certain things that I have definitely mastered. Like I was never, I never had like a morning routine. And I was like, who are these people that are up mm -hmm. at 5am, like throwing back eggs, like Gaston, like, who are these people? <laughs> um, these Mark Wahlbergs. And in the fall of 2020, I really got clear on what that would be for me. And that was a game changer for me. So when I wake up in the morning, I don't talk to people. I take a walk right away. I have that time for myself. I don't take calls before 11 a.m. Eastern. Um, so things like that have definitely helped, Yeah, you know, for sure, for sure. But it's definitely still a journey in terms of taking care of my, taking care of myself. Yeah. And, and I, I just want to tell you like that video, I related to it so much and I, I kind of expected it to be like, well, yes, I go through phases because I feel like that's what everybody who's listening is going through. It's like, yes, I go through phases too, where I'm, I'm working out now and I'm taking care of myself now or like, so do you feel like you have had to put more measures in place or different measures in place 2018 versus 2023? What is the difference in how you were hustling before and how you hustle now? Mm. It, so how I hustle, how I was hustling then. And I think this is a fallacy that people don't understand, like to build the business to what we did in the time frame that we did, I worked my butt off and it was a, you know, we were doing two copy chats a year. I was running two copy confidence society. It was like, yes, 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 yes. It was, it was say yes and figure it out. And I would say probably last year around 2021, 2022, I started to notice more ease in that I've established really great connections or I, I would hope, you know, that I have a good reputation. And so it's been easier now to fill copy chats. Um, the launches, yes, we have a system, but like I know them this fall will be the 10th time I've launched the Copy Confidence Society. So now I'm in a different place where now I'm like, okay, how can we get more publicity for the company? How can I be out speaking more? Not like, oh my gosh, where are clients going to come from? I don't have that kind of hustle anymore. Now the hustle is like, how do we show this to more people and expand what has worked so well? Where five years ago, it was, I mean, when I first pitched people for the copy chat, no one knew who the hell I was. I didn't have celebrity clients. I wrote for a lot of B2C, so business to, uh, you know, real people. Like I wrote for health coaches, financial coaches, a matchmaker. I didn't, I didn't have like celebrity business clients. Yeah. So that hustle was like helping people know who I was, that I was the real deal, that the copy chat was something you'd want to be a part of. And that was my life, my life. And, and, and also last summer we had to take a break from the copy chat when I got breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a time to kind of reevaluate and be, and that fall, even though we didn't do a copy chat, so many people in the online community stepped up and said, I'm happy to share an email for you for the copy confidence society launch, whatever you need. And that's what I realized that while wow, all that hustling and kind of connection had paid off in the way that people were really stepping up to support me during this time. And we still had a six figure launch last fall. Yeah. Now you are able to do this and please correct me as I know that the copy chat summit doesn't rely on ads. This is all, uh, this is all networking. This yeah. is all people sharing. This is all yeah. organic. Um, for your launches, do you use ads? No, I never spent a dime on paid advertising. Can you please tell us the gold nugget <laughs> of how you do a six-figure launch without ads? What uh, are, What is everybody not getting about this? I think relationships. I think that I put, I think the formula is really that I've created my own stage and brought people to me. Um, 
Business Insider interviewed me on this in 2020. And I talked about this kind of formula that I kind of made up on the fly as they asked me, like, how did, similar question, how did you do this? And I remember sitting in a coffee shop, like the last coffee shop I would sit in before the pandemic. Yeah. And I remember sitting in the coffee shop, like, okay. Um, so it's really about creating that stage. What I call like schmoozing with sincerity, creating relationships with people. So instead of worrying about creating posts or, or social media, I really spend my time connecting with people and building those relationships. And I think that's been the gateway and the copy chat. So yes, people will go spend money on ads. I've spent money, I've invested, but I've invested in the copy chat. Yeah, And I just kept doing the copy chat over and over again. So it's not like I haven't spent money, just my investment has been in the, instead of on paid ads, it's been in the copy chat. And that has brought people to me. It's created relationships and that helps us get a certain amount of people in for our, the webinar that we do. And we get about, you know, we've, I've, it's so wild. You're asking me this. I've only the first time I launched the Copy Confidence Society. Was it not a six figure launch? I don't even think I knew that until you asked me. So the very first time I launched the Copy Chat, a Copy Confidence Society off the first Copy Chat in the spring of 2019, it was a $60,000 launch. Mm -hmm. And I remember I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen (laughs) money like that, but I was like, what in the world? And then my fall launch was 112. The one after that was like 300. Like I just kept, I've never not had a six figure launch for the Copy Confidence Society besides the first one. I wish I could spend the next 45 minutes talking to you more about this, but I really want to be respectful of your time because you have been so generous to tell us, to share, to share your story because you have been so generous to share (laughs) your story with us. So thank you so much. What do you think is the biggest misconception that people have of you as a successful businesswoman? Mm. I think that, you know, as I've talked about what I work so hard. I think people also think that maybe that's all I do, but I also have to say like, I'm on a road trip all this year, traveling America. I just was gone for two weeks. I don't work on the weekends. The fourth week of the month, we have what we call a flex week where I don't have client calls. So I definitely have, we go for the beach two weeks in the summer. I can go. So I definitely have this freedom that we found. I think sometimes people get they're like, oh my gosh, if I was to do this, I'd be working so much. And like, yes, I certainly did, but I definitely also have a lot of freedom and, and time, you know, I, to read and do all the, you know, I'm a big book nerd, you know, I read like 35 books last year, you know? So yeah. I definitely have that time too. And I think people might have a misconception that, oh my God, you know, especially after I've gone through periods of grief, like when Di died and then my grandpa died and I got breast cancer, I actually find joy in working. And I think I remember I got some emails from people that are like, how are you working? How are you showing up? And it's like, I actually find joy in that. I found joy in still doing the copy chat after Di died and talking about her as much as possible and and raising money, all the money that we've raised for charity. So those things actually energize me. Yeah. Yeah. So if everybody who's listening had to do what you're about to tell them to do, and they have to do it in the next 24 hours. What would that thing be? Actually send a DM or an email to somebody's content or somebody like that you've been wanting to connect with or, or admire and be specific about why, even if the content was from a month ago, you know, Hey, Ina, I heard so-and-so on the 
global phenomenon podcast. I absolutely loved when you asked this particular question, like find time to connect more than you're consuming Mm -hmm. and more that you're, and and even more than you're creating content. Yeah. Put connection first, even if it's like, okay, I'm going to reach out to three people. Love it. Um, it's, I mean, you're, Speaking to my heart, engagement is the thing. I'm very sorry to hear about your friend die. Um, I didn't realize that. That I'm so sorry. Um, let's <laughs> let's see. Where can we follow you? Let's Where lighten it up. Learn? Let's lighten the mood. I promise you. I also I'm very funny. I have lots of like funny things that happen too. It's not <laughs> just like death and cancer. I promise you. Um, let's lighten it up. Where can people find you? Yes, Where can we, we follow you. We talked about it. You know, the great place to come check me out is on Instagram at M Tony, M T O N I. Um, and if I change it, you know, before that is, it will be Marisa Corcoran, my, my name. Um, and you know, we didn't really get into copy too much, but one of the things that I think has also helped me create connection with my audience is my emails. You know, when I started, it was, we did a copy chat, we sold into the copy confidence society. And I did that through emails and the copy chat Facebook group. And that's what I did up and, you know, we've been doing this growing into our 10th launch. And I feel that our emails have really helped us create that connection. Um, so I have, I always say like, you can write the best email, but if nobody reads it, then what the heck? So I have a really great resource called the 50 plus scroll stopping subject lines at the party last week that I threw for Laura Belger at the time that we're recording, somebody came up to me and said, oh my gosh, Marisa, I just wanted to tell you, I've been on your email list. I, I use the 50 plus scroll stopping subject lines at least like twice a month, I will go and reference it and use it for my emails. And it's always so helpful. So you can grab that um, at the link in my bio on Instagram, or you can just go to um, marisacorcoran.com forward slash subject lines. And you can grab it. And I give you three formulas. I show you how to swipe it from magazines, all sorts of stuff. And we'll put the link right in the show notes. So you don't have to go digging for it. You can just click on this episode and go right there and sign up. Marisa, this has been amazing. I really wish we had another hour to chat. Thank you so much for your generosity, for helping us understand how you got here and wishing you all the success. Oh, thank you so much, Ina, for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. For sure, things that I have not talked about before, and I really just appreciated the questions that you asked and this kind of deep connection. It really speaks to everything that I love. So I just appreciate you so much. We've got to hang next time I'm in Boston. You know, I haven't been back since I graduated. Well, come back. We'll go to Cambridge. We'll do it again. Okay. We're going to go to Darwin's and get a breakfast sandwich. I I, I have us planned for the Cambridge part. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thank you, Marisa. Hey there, Ina here. After listening to this episode, you may have a million questions. You can DM them all to me on Instagram at Ina Coveney, or you can head over to our free Facebook community and post your question there. Go to getclientsfirstpodcast.com slash Facebook or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit follow or subscribe on your podcasting app so you don't miss another episode of the Get Clients First Podcast. Coach, you got everything it takes to blow up your business, and I'm here to give you all the guidance and the push you need week after week. So it's a date. I'll see you on the next one.